named our podcast the World Class Agency Podcast, not because we thought we were world class, but because we try and get closer to it every conversation that we have. What does World Class Estate Agency look like to you? World Class Estate Agency is all about people. The good estate agents add, adds an incredible amount of value to the consumer. He's, he's looking after the customer properly, so being approachable, being accessible. And for me, every day's a learning day. What does being a world-class agent mean to you? Hello and welcome to today's episode of the World Class Agency Podcast. My name is Mark Wall. I'm joined as ever by Sam Hunter. Sam, hello. It's coming home, isn't it? <laughs> Good morning, Mark. Hello, listeners. <laughs> um, is it? Yeah, maybe. I, <laughs> uh, maybe. I, said, <laughs> I said the other day, uh, it's a really strange feeling, uh, even as an Aussie watching an England match without like a really sustained level of anxiety. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 4-0, how good. Uh, I feel strangely invested uh, in, in England actually <laughs> winning the Euros, which I don't quite know how to reconcile. Um, and it makes me terribly uncomfortable. But at the same time, I, I have a big man crush on Gareth Southgate, you know. Uh, I love that guy. Yeah. He's he's humble. He's well spoken. He's got a great mindset. He's somehow made gentlemen out of football players. Yeah, they very all, true. You know, they all might hate each other at club level, but there's a real togetherness in the group. Um, he makes them really hard to dislike, and that's a real challenge, I think, um, and and one that he's taken on. And that's why I, I genuinely believe it's that harmony and togetherness that's delivering results for England. You know, England have always had talent. Um, but it's that culture and it's that probably we talk about on the show openness and accountability you know when somebody does something wrong they put their hand up and they they learn from it they don't chastise each other from it so he's done a magnificent job Um, still to this day I feel like the the two best Euro memes I've ever seen are one where once the Dutch got knocked out, it was there was this meme of Jordan Pickford and he's like he was planning the Euros from February 2020 or whatever it was when he did Van Dyke's knee. And the other best one was that the Euro success, the reason why it's coming home, all started with a pint of wine and Sam Allardyce getting in the sack. Uh, <laughs> Which I also thought was really hilarious. But actually, that you look back at, at that moment, and it is a bit of a sliding doors moment. How different would this England team be, you know, if Big Sam was is still in charge? Yeah, well, I've never turned in. I'm pretty glad. Well, I don't know if I'm glad that that happened. But, um, yeah, I think, as you said, he's made footballers very likeable. Again, if you, if you look at the generation, and I think we're going to probably talk more, more football maybe next week when we know exactly what's happened. But... I was listening to Gareth Southgate on the High Performance Podcast. And I don't know whether you've listened to it. If not, I would highly recommend it because um, all of those things that you just described came through in bucket loads, you know, humble. And one thing you didn't mention there, which we talk about a lot on this show, is consistency. You can Mm. see actually how that England team and the structure of England as um, a concept, I suppose, as the the FA as a as a concept that gets through to the to the team, how they've really benefited from the consistency that, that he's had. And actually, we'll talk next week about, depending on where England finish, how you could maybe apply that in, into agency. But yes, you know, you look at the likes of Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, and if you compare them to the baby Bentley brigade of footballers 10 years ago, like chalk and cheese. Um, and it's great to see, and it's great to see the success, and it's great to see how it's bringing the 
country together, I think. And it's really interesting to hear you talk about being invested in that process as an Aussie. Um, we had a fantastic evening Saturday. My wife joined us. We went to the pub. We celebrated um, at a distance with randoms. And it was just, you know, I think it's just a feel-good factor um, that will carry on through the summer and then can benefit us in agency as well, I think. You know, carry on that um, buzz that we've had from the market. An event like this does tend to, you know, bring the country together and, and hopefully boost the economy a little bit as well. Fingers crossed, you know. Um, there's a term in, like, um, I guess it's sport, but it's probably politics more than anything else. It's called, like, basking in reflected glory. Um, and it basically means that when the nation does well um, at a sporting event. It's why economies tend to have a boost after the Olympics, um, yeah. not just in the in the country where those Olympics are, but anywhere. It's because people see their nation doing well. They It sort of imprints on themselves and they want to do a little bit better for themselves or they might go and spend a little bit more money, which then helps local businesses and stuff like that. So I think actually, you know, as uh, trivial as a sporting tournament may seem to some people listening to this show, uh, it does have a, a wider impact. Um, so I think you're exactly right. And actually, there are some social lessons to be learned out of uh, the England football team as well mm. that hopefully will, you know, plant seeds. I, I, I'm really excited about, you know, probably not the next few years. I think there'll still be a bit of um, unease and hurt and stuff like that. But the kids who are growing up watching Marcus Rashford and Raheem Sterling, and they're seeing these people who don't just kick a ball really well and run really fast, but... I think people have real impact outside of the game mm. and using their celebrity for good. Hopefully that instills what a real sort of role model should be. Um, yeah. I've being a rugby league fan, you don't grow up with a lot of uh, really that's, solid role models no. in, in no, Australia. Anyway, that's, what, right? that's what is not good for that, is it? Yeah. And, <laughs> and there's this, there's, there's always a debate about whether athletes or celebrities, whatever you want to say to them, uh, should be should be role models. You know, they're paid to do a sport really well and that's it. And actually, I think it does go beyond that. You've got a responsibility um, when you're in that public light. Yes, you've been, you know, given some talent and you've made the most of that talent, hopefully. And that does come with a responsibility to make sure that you're putting your best foot forward over time. And there are people that disagree with that, but I think actually that, that comes with the territory. And it's really only now that next generation of England stars that are seeing that through. And I think long-term, that's going to be great. Hopefully they can change some perceptions and change some of the mindset of some of the old brigades, not just in that team, but in, in wider society as well, because that's going to benefit everybody, you know. Um, probably not the most uh, world-class of a state agency conversation <laughs> to start this week, but I think an important topic nonetheless. Very, very relevant, I think. And if anyone is like us, they've probably got football not too far from their minds over the last couple of days and weeks and particularly over the next few days so um I, I think it is relevant that you can relate it to agency or be very loosely although i reckon we're getting quite good at, at relating loose concepts to to a state agency yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> shall we dive in and introduce today's guests then before before we just carry on talking football for 60 minutes and we'll have to start a new podcast because i'm pretty sure our listeners are not that interested in football right let's do it Today's guest brings over 48 years of estate agency experience to this very show. He has seen, been through and survived it all. Paper diaries, hot boxes, window cards, the primary source of advertising, the advent and perhaps 
the start of the destruction of property portals, the CRM wars, online agency, off-market sales, big companies and small. He's quite literally met and worked with thousands of people in property. He sold probably thousands of homes as well. And he's here to talk about what he's seen, where he's come from, and most importantly, where he's going. Uh, he's known as the godfather of gold is green. So hashtag say yes to Murray Lee from Dreamview Estates. Welcome to the World Class Agency podcast. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, Mark. Nice of you to have me on board. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Thank you very much for, for giving up your time this morning, Murray. Um, okay. I, that, that was some intro. It's difficult to know to know where to start. Um, maybe if we sort of have a look back all those years, what got you into a state agency and be interested um, to hear about that. Um, but more importantly for me, what still drives you? Obviously, we had a bit of a chat off there. You're still very passionate about agency. So I'm really interested um, to know what, what is behind that passion in an industry that obviously you, you're very passionate about. I started 1973. At the time, I was working part-time in between school hours in a supermarket in Edgware. And I was looking at what to do with my life because I was at sixth form college. And my mother said, no son of mine is going to work in a supermarket. Uh, with hindsight to that, I wish I'd say they got taken over, then became Safeways, and then are now Morrisons. And I would have had thousands of pounds in shares and probably wouldn't be sitting here today. Uh, that wasn't going to happen. So I was walking down the high street in Edgeware and I saw a sign in the window, assistant, junior assistant wanted for a firm of estate agent called Alan Sadik and Company. And it was no more than about 10 minutes, 20 minutes from my home, even walking. So too good an opportunity. I went in, they liked me, I liked them. And that's where I started my career as an estate agent. I had no decision made that I wanted to be an estate agent. It just happened uh, dynamically that way. Um, I stayed there for about three years. I was then headhunted, believe it or not, already only at 20 years old by a chap who was a mortgage broker maybe one of the first mortgage brokers to have an estate agent at the same time. And I went to work for him. And that's probably where I started to make my name for myself in Hendon. Um, I became passionate about it because I enjoyed meeting people. I'm a people person. I have been throughout my whole life. I said to, to Chris Watkins, who kindly interviewed me a few days ago, um, I was a member of a club very near to where we stayed. And I won club member of the year a couple of times. I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet here, but that's, that's who I am. And I'm very involved. I, I do a lot of other things outside agency. You may have seen last year, I did a, a charity collection delivering Easter eggs to people who couldn't get out. And I did it again this year. I've done bike rides, I've done my own things and I've won the agent giving awards for things. But I get pleasure out of doing it. I do a hospital radio show because I want to, you know, none of this is forced on me. Encapsulate that in the property side of things. And I mentioned to Mark earlier, I get people coming back to me year on year because I sold them their properties. And that's where the passion comes from. Happy clients, happy customers, recommendations, and, and to be able to help people move on in their lives to where they want to be and to be trusted. I, I said to Chris, um, be honest with yourself and be honest with your clients. And I've been that all the way through the 48 years. I'm just, I was just writing down a note that you said there about how you your story is quite similar to a lot of the people that we speak to on this show and that you almost fell into it. You saw the sign. It wasn't the sort of, I'm growing up to be this estate agent, but actually you realize that you are a people person. You enjoy meeting people and you've been able to put that passion to work. Um, we uh, interviewed a chap called Jerry Lyons on this show once, and he talks about the work that you do in the community as well, and that you do, you should do good for good's sake, not good for Facebook's sake. And I think actually 
what you've just articulated with the work that you do, you, you know, if there was no such thing as Facebook, you would still go and do it. Whereas there are some perhaps people out there who will do that for the business rather than the act of actually doing that. Um, let's talk about uh, 48 years, a long time, you know, and I think actually showing that sort of longevity means that being honest with yourself and being honest with your clients is probably a pretty decent strategy uh, for life, let alone business or estate agency or anything like that. Is that, has that been your sort of one constant guiding principle throughout your career or is there, has there been anything else that was there on day one that's still there today? Well, I think being available to your clients, I learned very early on that you had to, don't forget, I go back before there were mobile phones if they wanted to do that to ring the office and at 5.30 they couldn't get hold of you anymore and there was no emails, but I made it a point then at 17 and continued that too, people want me they'll get hold of me and I'll return and do whatever is necessary. So I think the service part of the industry is too. I hear and read about so many agents and so I see the Zoopla comments and right move comments about how poor agents are about returning inquiries, etc. Even in our little office here, and I explained to Mark, we're only four people working here. An inquiry comes in, we're all over it like a rash as quickly as we can possibly be because we want to provide that service. And that, generic goes look that's the right word goes all the way through from first in, in contact for when we meet the people right through to the end if someone calls i'll turn the response around as quickly as i possibly can and people respect that sometimes now of course it's gone a bit the other way because you get phone calls 24 7 i had one on sunday in the middle of the football and i had to put the person in the place i'll ring you back at six o'clock or whatever but i did <laughs> And we made an appointment for somebody to see the property yesterday and hopefully they're going to make an offer. So to, the, to, my, to my chagrin, my wife complains that the phone's by my side all the time, but that's part of it too. And do you think that's the most important thing um, to deliver excellent customer service then? Um, is it speed of response or what more is involved and how's that evolved over your years in agency in your opinion? I think you hit it there straight away, speed of response. First of all, don't forget, if an inquiry is coming to me from the portals these days, which is the most common factor, everyone's going to get it. Okay, it, it, it may be specific to one property that we have, but if Sam Hunter emails, I'm looking for a five-bedroom detached house at a million pounds, but it's going to go to everybody, and I want to be there first. And you'd be amazed how many purchasers, applicants especially, say, oh, I didn't expect to hear from you at eight o'clock on a Tuesday evening. I said, well, no, that's exactly why I'm calling you. So I hope that answers the question that we put that puts us at the top of the agents that they, I may not have the property for them. It may turn out to be no good. Hopefully by contacting that early, I've gotten through the door first and we're the ones that get the sale. But going on from there, the, the crucial point of state agency, I think, is, is monitoring the sale from agreed to completion. Getting the appointments is one thing, getting the viewings, doing the details and so on, and getting the offers is basic agency. That's what everybody does, and they all do it in their different ways. But what I do know is, after 48 years in the business, I pitch myself against anybody to get a sale past the post. And there are problems on every sale, well, most sales from time to time. And again, I'll give you another proof of the pudding. Sunday, lady rings me, her removal company let her down. Could I help her out? She's moving tomorrow. And we found a way, you know, so every little bit of this conveyance is the most important thing. It's not just about getting it to exchange, sticking the commission account in and forgetting it. It's everything. It's everything. And beholden to our reviews, we all get bad ones, but I think we get some very, very good ones online. 
Can I ask you a question then on that uh, process of uh, uh, agreed to completion? Um, because I, I do agree with you. I think a lot of um, those bad reviews could be solved if agency showed uh, a care factor beyond exchange. Once once they knew the money was going to be in the bank, regardless of whether it's there or not, it does seem to be like they go into witness protection a little bit and no one's ever spoken <laughs> to again. Can you... so? I agree with you there about what, once you've actually put a deal together, keeping it together and, and pushing it through is where a good agent really delivers some value. Can you talk us through how you set and then manage those expectations across both parties? Because I think they've got to understand that there will be bumps in the road to, to manage them best when they happen. It, it starts right at the very beginning. I email the lawyers, copy the purchasers or vendors in, and I give them as much information as I can on the sale right at the start, including the pro forma, sorry, not the pro forma, that's the thing, uh, the memo, the EPC, and the sales details. And I give as much information within, virtually every email is different. There is a template, and in the old days, it was a lot easier. You just changed the names and sent it in the post. Today, are they selling something? Is there a chain? What's happening in the chain? Are they mortgage? Are they cash? The due diligence that all of us do, but I make sure the solicitors get it. I then, and I have done this morning, I chase up regularly to make sure contracts have gone out, contracts have been received, searches have been raised and so on. And I update the vendors. And this is the most important thing. This is another motto. I often phone them to tell them nothing. And it's better to tell them nothing than not to phone them at all. Do you understand that analogy? Mm -hmm. The fact that yep. I'm contacting them is just saying, don't worry, Mr. And Mrs. Hunter, I'm keeping an eye on your file. There's nothing to tell you, but I've checked this week and I'll check again next week. And that's where you find out where problems come from, as you call it, the bumps in the road, and you try and preempt them a little bit where you can. Obviously, surveys and mortgage valuation, all sorts of things that do get in the way, and you monitor them. I'm very lucky, having been in it over 48 years now, I know a lot of lawyers. In fact, I know sons of lots of lawyers now as well. And they respect the fact that I'm not, and I call this, I don't want to upset any agents and ambulance chaser, just saying, where's my commission? If I'm phoning them, they know it's something positive or creative or relevant to the sale to give them a piece of information that they need. Also, of course, I know a lot of freeholders. I know a lot of housing associations. I know a lot of people in the right places where to press the right buttons if something's held up. We have a block here called Burnbeck Court, which is an old age retirement block. I know all the directors and it's a slow process to get a sale through. But at the start of the sale, I tell the applicant, you've got to go through a medical, you've got to go through a review. And I set all that up first so that bump is smoothed out completely. You can spread that across the whole of buying and selling, but that's what I do. Can I ask, because I think the post-sale um, conversation we've just had is, is a really interesting one. And we've, we've talked about um, speaking to people when you've got nothing to say on this show before, but perhaps not um, post-sale agreed. So I think that's, that's really interesting. One thing I always find when you're speaking to clients who are going through what I think is quite can be quite a stressful process of moving house is that you tend to have conversations that last 10 minutes that really should be done in, in two minutes. Would you agree with that? And if so, how do you manage your time effectively when you are speaking <laughs> to people that are going through this stress so well? I zip it up and listen and keep my mouth shut. If you, if you constantly interfere or sorry, interrupt, you're only going to extend the conversation. Hear what they've got to say, make notes of what the salient points are, and then come back to them with, 
X, Y, Z, and that usually alleviates the problem. Um, in my area especially, you said you're impressed that I'm in Golders Green. Golders Green is a predominantly Jewish area, which in itself brings its own vagaries. And Jewish people like to talk and we like to use our hands as well. It's a well-known factor. And being Jewish, it helps with that to have their psyche, obviously. And interestingly, there's a, a lot of trust elements involved and they like to be able to trust the people they work with. And I'm not trying to pigeonhole this to say that's our only clientele, far from it. We're very cosmopolitan. We've got a huge wide capture, area capture of people that we deal with, but they get the same service. And if they want to talk, I'll listen, learn and hear what they've got to say, try and pinpoint the bullet points of what's the matter and then break them down and go back. I don't think you're ever going to stop someone wanting to vent, if that's the right way of putting yeah. it, and talk out their worries because they are fears of what's going to happen if and so on. And all we're doing is being their social, um, their, their, their psychologists, trying to help them through the, the, the process. Yeah, I agree. Many, many hats you have to wear um, as an agent, particularly post-sale. And yeah. let's talk about your patch. Um, for a little bit, Maurice. Um, you talked about being um, Golders Green um, specific. Do you think that really knowing that patch, as you've just um, said, and maybe not expanding into other areas, I don't know exactly how big your, your area is, but do you think being a real specialist in your patch has allowed you to actually have the longevity that you've got? Yeah, definitely. I think I said to you before, um, a lady came back to me, bought the house from me 19 years ago, as I was at another estate agency at that time. Um, my area is probably no more than, I don't know, three or four square miles. Have we cover Golders Green, we cover Hendon, um, we cover uh, Finchley and Hampstead Garden Suburb. And they're all within 15 minutes drive. And from that, I've built up a knowledge unsurpassed by anybody of values in most areas. And I won't say all because even Hampstead Garden Suburb is an area all of its own. If you haven't heard of it, it's the multi-million pound area. Bishop's Avenue and where those are. And I don't profess to be an expert there and I don't get business there. But we're a small band and I prefer it that way. Everyone talks about how many valuations they get, how many instructions they get. We couldn't cope with too many. I know that sounds bizarre because we couldn't give the service that we came in on on this conversation right at the start. I'd rather have three instructions a week rather than 33 because I'd never be able to cope. And from that, Staying local has given me the reputation to know my area inside out, back of my hand. And I mentioned to you earlier, many, many valuers contact me from the um, panels and building societies and surveyors, and many I've dealt with for many years because they know I know the prices. And if I don't know it, I'll know who's probably sold it instead. Own, own that area then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let me give you... A, a, Sorry, one really quick thing. In that house where the lady bought from me 19 years ago, I showed it the other day, and the applicant that came bought a flat from me 25 years ago, and she bought her daughter with her baby. So we had three generations plus the lady who owned the house. I don't think anybody could say that. I don't think anybody could say that with their hand on their heart that there was 25 plus years worth of clientele in one house at the same time. That's a great story. That's all, I think that's all. That's all local. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. Don't apologise. I think it is a it is a quite a fascinating story in that um, you're probably representative of a lot of that market as well. So one of the reasons why you're hyper local is because locals tend to probably move amongst 
the the sort of property in the area based on where they are in their lifestyles. So they've got their first flat, then they might have their first home, then they might have their family home, then they might have their retirement home where they've got to do the medical and get through and everything like that. And for you to be able to understand the tiny little micro markets within the bigger market of a 15 minute drive radius from where you happen to sit every day is what allows you to offer that service. You know, and I think that's a great question, Mark, because so many people will try and go big thinking that that's how you make it big. Um, and they'll try and be everything to everybody instead of being something or the right thing to the right people. And I think you've, it's clear you've made that your career. There's an interesting uh, side note to this. If you were to come to Gold Screen, I think there's about eight or 10 agents here. All of them are independent or franchise independent. By that, I mean small. There's a Winkworths, there's an Ellis, those, and, and we've got a Foxton's as well. The rest are small, one-stroke, two-man band. Morland's is Eddie, uh, Houston's is Richard, Kingsley's is Ayal, so on and so on and so on. Alan Golden is Alan Golden, and they're all individuals, very similar vein to me, who've been in this area for almost as long as me, not all of them, but most of them. And I'm proud to say we all work well together, not all of them with each other, but they all do with me. And that's an unusual generic in one particular area because normally most agents are fighting against each other all the time. How important do you think that collaboration is then? Maybe um, there's certain elements of collaboration, but I know you were involved last year in collaborating with other agents on a, on a national scale. But very rarely do we speak to agents who would talk about having good relationships with their competitors as, as you just have. So how important do you think that is um, and do you think it's something that you learned um, as you became more experienced in your career? Absolutely. In 1980 to 1986, I worked for a firm called Seymour's in Hendon Central Station. You would, well, they've still got an office there called Squires now. You would turn your hair. It was inside the station. It was as narrow as a desk or two desks. <laughs> Wouldn't be any good for social distancing. It didn't have a cloakroom. You had to come out of the office and go into the toilets on the underground station to use the cloakroom. And there were two older professional agents. One was a chartered surveyor and one had been in the business then almost as long as me. And that particular guy who was more on the sales said to me, Murray, half a loaf is always better than none. And we took that with us and we built up a half com list. You understand what half comms are, I'm sure, with the local agents. And this, what I'm discussing now was what we did then. And I worked with all the other agents locally and we got on well. There was a Barnet Association of Estate Agents well before there was the National Association of Estate Agents. I became chairman of that after a while. They were gentlemen, and that's how we worked together. Sadly, in 1986, Bester Eves came along, the Foxtons of today, and they started door knocking and canvassing and so on, and the market changed completely. But going back to that stage, I've taken that strand through with me all the time, and I'm probably one of the very few agents that does half-com sales. If one agent wants one of my properties and they want to share the fee with me, I'm delighted. I'd rather earn £5,000 than not earn £10,000 or whatever it may be. I don't have that bigger uh, uh, head that I have to sell the properties. Most of them will cooperate with me. There's one agent who won't do any, but I still get on with him as well. And we chat and we say hello. And there is a relationship. It's, it's, has it been a business relationship? And maybe we have done a deal. I can't remember. And most times, and this is crucial, where a vendors want another agent on board, 
and they're with me, I'll recommend any of the ones that I work with and become joint sole agents and we have a fee sharing arrangement. But more importantly, those other agents will choose me first as their joint agent to go to. So I'm getting an instruction on the back of all their hard work where they haven't been able to sell it. And that's cost me nothing to get the instruction. And maybe even I'll get two thirds of the fee as well. I'm not, again, talking about the money size of it, but that shows you what the benefit is of working on, on that sort of rate. And I'm afraid to say, not all of the agents locally work like that. They, some of them don't talk to each other and sometimes talk through me to each other, believe it or not, which is very, very perverse. And that's how I became the mouthpiece of the Say No campaign locally. Um, I was approached by Richard from Houseman Homes and Alan Golden of Alan Golden and then Philip Wise to say, Murray, you're the best known amongst us. You've got the face. You take it forward. So there you go. That's where that came from. There we go. I think um, certainly what I've taken out of, of this, and, and perhaps I'm going to give away your answer to the uh, question that we ask everyone who joins on the show, is that if you take that customer-centric approach, regardless of whether it is where you operate, how far out you operate, the fees that you're willing to charge, you put the customer at the center of everything, you know, the reason why you're happy to do a half com, the reason why you drive 15 minutes in either direction and no further is because that actually serves the customer best and that ends up serving you best as well. So Murray, I don't know if you've listened um, to the show, but we, we call ourselves the world-class agency podcast. Um, we've done a hundred episodes uh, and we ask the same question of every single person as they join us. Uh, and that is what does world-class estate agency look like to you? Wow, that's a difficult one because I can only judge it on my own experience. And I think I've answered that almost back when we started this podcast. You've <laughs> got to give the service. You've got to be honest. You've got to be available. You've got to be efficient. You've got to make sure your customers are happy. And that includes tenants, applicants, landlords and vendors. And I don't think there's anybody that gives a better service overall. You're always going to get a bad apple. We Generally this year, we have noticed especially on the tenant side of things, I have to say, not the vendors or the, land, or, or the buyers, a lot more aggression and, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? dissatisfaction because they're stuck at home and unfortunately it's, it's, it's much more focused. And we've had a few bad reviews this year, but I take those on board and we try and contact the people and sort out the problems where we can. And the most unfortunate tenant with the biggest issues with mold and, and leaking taps will we'll spend the time to do that. And the most expensive tenant with a two million pound vendor with the two, they get the same service. Just to give you a captive answer. Yesterday, a lady emailed and said, I haven't had my deposit back. The owner's in Dubai. During the day yesterday, we got to the bottom of the problem and I emailed her at 7.30 this morning. Jenny, the landlord's just discussing with us about the cleaning because my colleagues were on holiday. She came back and said, thanks very much, Murray. Appreciate the response. Look forward to hearing from you. That's what world-class estate agency is in a nutshell, isn't it? It's a communication when perhaps it's unexpected, you know, and I, I think what you said before about calling somebody and telling them that you have no news is infinitely better than not calling them at all. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It goes for everybody. I don't want to give any trade secrets away here, though, Sam. Are we going to get royalties if we can take this up? <laughs> but that's the best thing about giving out advice for free. Probably one out of 100 will actually act on it. So... <laughs> that's fine. Nice. Well, so, Murray... Let, let... Let me just turn this around on you very, very quickly, because I do have a little bit of a gripe, and not at you personally, but we met, you remember, when you first started Home Shop, or you were growing Home Search through Rob, 
Rob Sargent. And yep. you were the you were the portal that we were all backing then, <laughs> if you remember. And I remember your very, excuse the language, sexy web shows and so on and so forth. With respect to you and to all the challenger portals, and at the moment, maybe including Boomin, which I'm supporting, obviously, there hasn't been a lot more traction than there should be. Um, I'm going to upset a couple of names here. Open Bricks, Wiggy Wham, uh, Rummage 4, all of we, we don't see Dreamview, and I'm on all of them, and I'm on Home Search too, you know that. Why haven't they challenged enough? Because there was a chance, and I said this to Mark earlier, there was that tipping point where we had four or 5,000 agents and we just didn't push too far. And I read even now today, the prices are going up 12.5% for the right move for tenants, as it were. We didn't win the battle. We won a few, sorry, we didn't win the war. We won a few battles. What's happened to the challenger board? It's a good question. Um, when we came out, we announced, and, and this is probably an entirely podcast on its own, I think, because we could talk about this for a while, but to give you a very short answer to a big question, uh, when everyone was having their digs at Rightmove in April last year or March last year, we said to a select few of the people who are using our service to make data and reports, we should build a public version of Home Search so that anyone can look at whatever they want anywhere everything everywhere and the question that we got back was could we put our listings on there as well and we said it's a weird idea okay and actually what we did was we used the momentum of that anti-right move campaign to build a quite informative website for the public where they could look at any address anywhere and see all the information behind it it just so happens to have the listings as well it was never really our intention to go out and challenge a right move or a zoopla or an otm uh, in the way that i think uh, boom and uh, have done um, and I respect the way that they're going about it uh, it's a really noisy market to be like to, to sort of I know it's probably a cop-out answer and if you're listening to this and I can see Murray sort of nodding but also shaking his head at the same time but it's true it's, it is very noisy not just for agents and helping them understand where the true value for any service is to them because it's a bit like you guys you get a phone call today from someone selling some prop tech. I guarantee it. You would have got two yesterday from someone selling some prop tech. So for companies like Home Search or anyone else out there, there's a lot of noise that we have to cut through to deliver our value proposition to hopefully have somebody go, oh, well, that makes a bit of sense. And so we elected to stop talking about portals and keep talking about data. Um, and that was the best decision that we ever did. Because last year served us well in terms of us doing some sexy webinars. And thank you for joining. Um, but what we're really good at is the property data and that's where we decide to focus our attention. And we get, we, we still have really strong usage every day of the public site from the public searching for full addresses, finding out what they need to, perhaps they've seen something on right move or they've seen something on the market or they've seen something on boom or Zoopla and they come to home search to make sure it's not full of shit. Basically, um, <laughs> there's, we've got some bigger plans for what we'll turn that site into, but it won't be a traditional portal because I think actually there are enough of those. So do you want to say something, Mark? Because I saw you. Okay. So I wanted to say I respect that, and that's a wise decision to make. Tangent. Sprift is a competitor of us. Yes. If I'm both very good. That then leaves the other challenges. I'll go back a little bit just to go forward. I've got time for this. Many years ago, if you remember, there was a huge buyout change in the state agency by Prudential and Black Horse and so on and so forth. Do you remember when that all happened? And they did the daft thing of putting all their names above the door and they never succeeded and they lost themselves fortunes. And then, of course, the 
managers bought back the companies, put their names back above the door, and they continue <laughs> to trade. My point is that there's an awful lot of money being washed around by all these portals, including the ones I've mentioned. Where are they and what's happened and what are they trying to do to, to move forward? Because we do need help, especially the, the minnow agents like me in the war against the bigger portals. I don't think it's a war we're ever going to win now. I think that's been proven by last year. But if they're out there, what are they doing? Very good question. I think actually, uh, and I started reading a book this morning called The Courage to Be Disliked. Um, <laughs> and this is a very random answer that you're going to get uh, because I'm like 13 and a half pages through. Um, <laughs> but so far, it is about uh, realizing that you've got to piss a few people off to actually make any real change. Um, and perhaps uh, one of the reasons why um, the bigger companies aren't challenged is because uh, there's an unwillingness to move away from what the traditional ideas may be. Um, and that was, that was the challenge that faced us, uh, was that we didn't want to build something that looked and felt like what already existed. But actually, if we built something that was vastly different to what already existed, nobody was ready to understand it yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so you, uh, you've got to have a bit of courage to try new things, and you're probably going to piss a few people off along the way. So I would suggest... Look, right move, if you use it well, I think delivers good value. Zoopla, I think, if you use it well, delivers good value. On the market, if you use it well. Boomin, if you use it well. Home search, if you use it well. Sprift, if you use it well. Spectre, all these things, if you use them well, they all deliver really good value. If you buy them and you assume that they're going to do the work for you, you end up in an antagonistic relationship where nobody wins, right? Because they're always trying to chase their tail, going, what can I do to make Murray happy? You're always going, they do nothing for me. I'm going to get mm. rid of them. What's the next shiny toy that I can play with? It's a bit like when you sign up a client and you mm. say, I'm going to sell your house for a million quid. Don't worry, we've got the buyer. Then you don't call them for four days. You, mm. you know. So we yeah, suffer the good. same core challenges, I think, that everyone else yeah. out there does. And I would err on the side of some of us know what we're doing, uh, or at <laughs> least we think we do. Maybe we're just delusional. Who knows? Um, and some of us, I think, have better ideas than others, but Good ideas take time, you know. I'm, I'm going to say at 66 in August, I'm glad I'm this end of the prop tech revolution because <laughs> I'm old school. I'm a high street agent, shirt and tie, as you can see. I'll always be that way. You're never going to change me. I even do my radio show in a, in a short shirt and tie. They say I've got the best looking <laughs> face for radio, actually. Um, I'll always be traditional. I'm not going to change. You're right. There's a huge amount of prop tech that comes at me daily and delete, delete, delete. It's very rare, I take it, because we're, we're still, I've got a paper diary in front of me on my desk. Your, your, your time, eight o'clock, is written in my diary on the front of my desk here, you know, and that's not going to change. I think Murray today, at 17, born 2004, whatever it may be, and still doing the business in 48 years' time, I, I don't think there will be. I don't, mm. There will be plenty that stay in the middle that will stay to the end, but I think it will burn a lot of them out and they'll get taken over by the prop tech. And I think, I don't want to say this, but I have a nasty feeling that it become almost automatic to be everything through the internet and you won't need estate agents anymore. The change is happening with Purple Bricks and U-Move and first floor agents with no offices anymore. And that's, that's a huge conversation. And that's another podcast for another day as well. Yeah, but I will, always, 
I will always be here with my front door wide open on Golders Green High Road because that's where my 15 minute radius is. And that's my best for sale board. It goes up every day, you know, and I accept that people don't look necessarily on the high street anymore, but they've got to do a lot of trawling to find Dreamview Estates amongst all the other agents online, if that's how they want to do their business. I'm here, folks. Come and find me. <laughs> I, think, I think that's really interesting what we, we talked about earlier and, you know, know your niche, know what you're good at, know how, you know, you've done business over the years and, and if you, you're not going to change, then admit it and, and move on. You know, you know the clients that are going to come back to you and, and keep returning to you. So, um, Rory, a massive thank you um, for joining us this morning. Um, we really appreciate We really appreciate your time. Um, so from Sam, myself and, and all the listeners, thank you very much. You're most welcome. Thank you. Keep up the good work, Sam, as well. Mark, Herod, you definitely keep the channels. A massive thank you once again to Murray Lee from Dreamview Estates for joining us today. Um, Sam, I don't know if he's the most experienced agent that we've had on the show. Um, certainly one of the most experienced. And we've just finished our chat off air talking about um, whether there will be many more generations of agents like him. I, for one, certainly hope so. Um, and certainly think so as well. This is a people business at the end of the day. Tech can only take you so far as, as you mentioned. It comes down to hard work and um, having the character traits that Murray talked about early on in the, in the interview about enjoying meeting people, getting involved in the community, and not because you want to be involved in your community to post on Facebook either for kudos or for business, but actually because you want to do it and that's what makes you get up in the morning. That's what you know makes you um, feel satisfied with, with what you're doing in life, I think. Yeah, and I, I mean, that key point there, life satisfaction is massive. And I think actually that's what drives the really world-class, you know, long-in-the-game estate agents to keep doing what they're doing every day because it, mm. it is intrinsic. It's about how can I help somebody today, whether it's buy a house, whether it's do the um, hospital radio show, whether it's raise some money for charity, what can I do? And the, the fact that you're running an estate agency, which gives you a bit of freedom and flexibility to do all these other things within your community, is just sort of the center point around that. Um, it is that do good for good sake. You know, that's we talked about in last week's episode about uh, what were the common threads across the first hundred episodes of this show. And I think actually having a sense of community was one thing that we didn't highlight enough. And it certainly mm -hmm. comes clear with what, what Mario said. What was really interesting was he said a couple of times throughout that, that, you know, he's there on gold screen high road, he's got his door open. And then as we were having a chat to him, as after the interview finished, a guy actually walked in the office and asked him a question about one of his competitors and he quite happily referred them that they were across the road. Yeah, absolutely. His door is literally open, you know, and, and we sort of made the joke that no one walks into a state agency anymore, but it was proven to us this morning that they still do. Uh, and I agree with what you say. I don't think um, where, that, where, where your agency is located matters a hell of a lot less than the service that you offer. And when Murray was sort of saying he's not sure if there's going to be agents like him around in, in, in the future, potentially there won't be agents that sit with their door open on the high road in the future um, because maybe commercially there are better decisions that you can make. But people who offer that personal service, people who value speed of response, people who are honest with themselves and honest with their clients, you know, people who are involved in their community are always going to be in business. You know, and if, they have, if the business they're in happens to be selling houses, then that's a good thing. You know, Uber, everyone talks about we're going to be the Uber of X, insert industry here, right? All Uber did was make it easier and cheaper to hire a car. 
you know they didn't replace the driver they didn't not mm. yet anyway yeah <laughs> um and they didn't replace the conversation you know the best uber trips are the ones where the guy leaves you alone or asks you a question that you really want to answer not the one that says how's your night been you know it's the same thing when taxes oh, i can't remember yeah it's been a while so i think <laughs> i think actually it is you know if we can sort of surmise everything that we talked about there uh, with murray it was you know there's the saying of like shop local you know mm. well i think murray's one of his models could be sell local or buy local because he seems to know everybody and he can connect parties at whatever stage they are in their life wanting to move within the areas that he operates in and you know that comes from experience and time of the game and building and investing in those relationships and investing in the community over time yeah people talk about property being a people business we talk about that all the time on on this show and hopefully those people elements never go he talked about the service and being the speed of response and being available to your clients whenever they, even as a 17 year old i bet he was one of those agents that was giving out his landline number at you know 17 and making sure that the customer service is paramount as he as he um he talked about it and that speed of response makes you stand out whether you have an office on the high street or you don't have an office at all or you make good videos um and interesting content on social media or you don't i think that that maintains as you say throughout any any sort of of business and you mentioned there sell and buy local and um, i don't think i've spoken to anyone who owns the niche quite as well as murray um and isn't afraid to say this is our area i bet he turns away business outside the area knows all of his competitors uh, in first name terms you could hear that obviously that collaboration i want to sort of break down and, and talk to you about because that isn't something that we um come across very often in my in my opinion he knows all the agents from the experience that he's got from the time that he spent on that on that high street but what was your view on on collaboration it was a bit of a fresh air for me if i'm being honest i think uh if it works for the customer um and it works for your business sustainably there are people who will be in a position where they may not be able to offer half fees because they need that full fee to sustain uh rent to sustain the printer lease to, to be paying wages and everything like that. Um, so I don't think it's as black and white as saying we never do it or we, we do it all the time. There are always going to be commercial things that come into that, but if you can yeah, offer of it and it's going to get your client the best result, which is probably going to lead you to two or three more opportunities to deliver for two or three more parties, then it makes sense to do it at the end of the day. Um, and I think you'd certainly, it, it's good for the market and good for you to be seen and to be actually collaborative and cooperative with your competitors than it is saying i won't work with alan golden or or one of the other guys that he sort of mentioned there as well you know so it's clearly served murray well i'm sure that there are other people who are operating in this market who are more than happy to do split fees as well equally there are going to be people who it's just not in their wheelhouse and they won't do it so you've got to understand what commercial decisions need to be made in your business and make them accordingly at the end of the day and I think that's a fantastic thing about being able to run an agency and being autonomous within independent agency that there's people like Murray that can make that decision and um, make it straight away and then take action for the client for the, for the greater good. Um, interesting, interesting to hear um, what he talked about as his sales chasing process. So I think he said that agreed sale to completion is the most important part of an agent's job and as i said in the interview we often talk about having conversations with clients when you've got nothing to tell them i think that 
or at least in my head, that was often associated with clients who are on the market waiting to agree a sale. Whereas actually, probably more importantly, those are conversations that you should be having with clients after a sale is agreed because that could be where those bad reviews come from potentially or you know where you actually make the difference between three or four and, and a five-star service. I think one of the things that you want least to happen in your business is to have to make that phone call and say, I'm sorry, one of the parties has pulled out, you know, um, and there's a further conversation to be had uh, about the lack of solidity in any agreed deal uh, across, you know, 90% of the transactions that happen in this country until the point of exchange. So to be able to then set and manage those expectations from moment one is crucial. And mm. to be able to call people, I know, same thing, you know, you know how I'm big on, you should be speaking to your clients every single day. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I'd be speaking, I would still be speaking to my vendors every single day. And I'd be speaking to the people who are under offer who'd made that offer that's been accepted every other day as well to make sure that they're performing because it's not just, it shouldn't be, the buck shouldn't be passed to a solicitor solely. And then an agent chasing that solicitor once a week to say, where are we at? What's going on? Have you raised inquiries? Have you done your searches? You should be talking to your clients to say, this is how this looks in a really mm. smooth way. Can we agree that we're going to talk at this time every day or every other day or however it's going to be? I'm going to make sure that all the parties communicate with each other, but here's your to-do list. Here's mine. Here's the solicitors. Here's the buyers. Here's their solicitors. If we all tick our boxes mm -hmm. along the way, everybody wins, you know? Yeah. And so you um, might call um, someone one day and say, I don't have anything to tell you today, but I'm just making sure I'm doing as I was, as I said, I would, you know, and it reinforces that you're there, that that care factor hasn't dropped just because you're close to being paid. That's really important. Yeah. And I, and I think in, in the transaction, I, I don't know who um, came up with it, but there's a, there's a downward sloping curve that relates trust to trap time with a transaction and if you are speaking to them every day then no doubt you're slowing that downward curve if not stopping it completely and i think that's something that would be be really important just moving on to um murray's question which obviously wasn't prepared for but actually his experience came through there because i thought it was straight to the point um he said world-class agency is about fantastic service being honest, being available, being efficient, and ultimately ensuring your clients are happy. Um, I don't think we can say any more than that, really. Yeah, that is number 42. That is the meaning of life in, in real estate right there, making sure your customers are happy. You know, you, you do that, the rest usually takes care of itself. So, Yeah, absolutely. And I think the final, the final point, um, just before, before we wrap, is um, something that he said after the world-class agency answer was, and you can see that this is something that stood the test of time and will continue to do so, in my opinion, is that um, you get the same service no matter who, you talk, who you're talking to, or he gives the same service no matter who he's talking to, whether that's somebody selling a £2 million house or a tenant who's got a leaking shower, for example. And I think that's probably you know, a measure of the man and um, probably could be attributed to a success over the years, in my opinion. Absolutely. Cool. Right. Well, a massive thank you once again to Murray for joining us today. And um, as you know, we do this because we love our industry. We want to see it improve and get better. If indeed you do enjoy what we what we do, please drop us a review and share these episodes with um, some of your colleagues. I'm Mark Worrell. He's Ham Hunter. Thank you very much. We will see you again next week.